This podcast is brought to you by the Turquoise Trail Charter School, Santa Fe, New Mexico. Oh, you guys, it's tricky. Because as much mm-hmm. as like I want the kiddos to come in, I do, I do, I do. It's like, okay, trying to figure all this out. And I'm hoping that it'll just become like second nature in some sense. But it's just, oh. <laughs> The first and four weeks, they're going to be like, put your mask on, put your mask on, put your mask on, blow your nose. <laughs> Wipe down the bathroom. <laughs> From Protect the Pack Productions at the Turquoise Trail Charter School in Santa Fe, New Mexico, my name is Chris Eide, and this is The Hypothesis, a show about what it's like behind closed doors making decisions about whether or not to open up school in the middle of a global pandemic. Last Thursday, October 7th, New Mexico Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham was on television giving us an update on the most recent coronavirus facts and figures. She said that the numbers in New Mexico are up. The total cases are up. The positivity rate is up. And you might recall from last week's episode that we had a concern about 16 of our kids who were home from childcare. Well, you'll be glad to know that they were not among the uptick in cases, that it was as we thought it was, that they were home primarily because of allergies. Also this last week, our power went out. Doesn't sound like a cause for concern at a school. However, when the power goes out now, that means that HVAC system, the chiller, all of the sort of attendant things that go along with power uh, in a school, the internet, all went out. And as with most things related to COVID, everything just got amplified. So it wasn't the case that we, you know, as in a normal school year, would just send everyone out to recess. No, we had to communicate with families, with teachers, all at home or at community centers, wherever they happen to be, to let them know that the internet at school is not working. And for all of the students who are at school, depending on that internet, they're not able to participate in their classes. So if they don't show up for your class, this is why. And admittedly, power outages are not among the things that we actively prepare for at school. It's not something that we had prepared for. So like last week when we had 16 students out in our childcare and we had to figure out what that possibly meant, we had to figure out how to deal with a power outage this time too. All of these things are powerful reminders that we just can't prepare for everything. It's safe to say that that's the case during any normal school year. It's just that this year, the stakes are quite a bit higher. Last week, I introduced you to Danielle Garcia, our Director of Operations, who told you about how she thought about designing the safety and operations plan at our school. Well, this week, you're going to meet Peter Nguyen, our Facilities Manager. Peter worked with Danielle on the math problem of a classroom. It's not just as simple as 
doing a square footage measurement of a classroom and creating six foot circles and letting that be the guide of how many students can fit in a room. No, it's actually much more complex if your goal is truly to keep kids safe. Let's hear from Peter. Well, uh, when we looked at the, the classrooms, we looked at the layout of the classroom. We also looked at um, the square footage of the classroom. Um, I also went and um, did some measurements uh, using a tape measure, measuring out six feet to see how many chairs, how many tables we could fit. And this is all based on having individual student desks. Um, if we use student desks and the chairs that we have, we technically could fit about 10 students in each classroom based on the size of each classroom. Um, we would have to remove some of the furniture, like um, bookshelves and things like that that took up some of the space. Um, so it would most likely be a bare classroom with just desks and chairs. So that's the first step figuring out the square footage, figuring out which furniture you're going to be using. But it gets more complex from there. Yes, so we started, yes, it starts in the classroom, and we started with the children in the classroom. How many couldn't we fit? This is Danielle Garcia, our director of operations. But it wasn't just about how many kids can fit in this area. You can put a kid in the corner and have a six-foot diameter around them, but are they going to be looking and engaged with the teacher? There has to, there's that second piece, and especially for our smaller children where we have a teacher and a teacher's assistant in the classroom. So how are they going to teach in that environment? That's different than just sitting kids and facing them in any direction. It had to do more with positioning and the interaction. So everything that we did wasn't just how do they fit. It was how do they fit, what is their movement, and what are their interactions that need to be taken into consideration. So all of that was really intense because that's conversations. How does kindergarten teach? How do they interact? Where are these kids going to need to go? So starting from the classroom, that's what we had to look at. And then moving on to a wing, we looked at where are they going to move? Are this group or pod of people going to be able to stay in that wing? Or do they have to have movement around the school to be able to facilitate their day? It was intense, but we got very fortunate that every kindergarten classroom has their own bathroom, with the exception of one. So we had to devise a plan for that one. Where are they gonna use the restroom? How do we break that off from the rest of the school and limit interaction as they get there? So what happens if you go into your classrooms, you draw circles six feet in diameter, and you determine that you could fit 16 kids in a classroom, but Upon further analysis, like Danielle just painted, you can only fit 10. What if you have 16 kids who could be coming up on any given day in your hybrid model? Do you just fit them in? Do you just say, our classroom can fit 16, so we are going to put 16 kids in a classroom? Or do you get more granular? Now think about this across a district, for example. Classrooms and schools, all different sizes. If you were to mandate that only 10 kids could fit in a classroom, you might be underselling how many possible kids could fit into a classroom. Same goes for the Contra. So for us, it varies from classroom to classroom. How many students, depending on grade level and how they might be taught, can fit in a given room.
Now put those rooms next to each other, as they always are, inside of a wing, a hallway, in a school. Now that hallway could become an additional classroom if all of the kids are out of their classrooms transitioning at the same time. Now, all of those kids in all of those classrooms in one hallway constitute a pod, so to speak. Now, we need to make sure that our plans accommodate for the fact that kids in one pod should not be mixing with kids in another pod because in the unlikely event that one student uh, contracts the coronavirus, we want to make sure that they have not been exposed to other kids in other pods or other adults who have been in contact with other kids in other pods. So this is another layer of complexity. Again, Danielle Garcia. How do we deliver meals without contaminating people between pods so we can say, okay, if something happens here, we know exactly this is it. Just this pod has to close down. So creating these routes around the school, these routines of you drop the food at the door, the other person comes out of the door, gets the food, takes it in, and we keep everything very centralized and self-sufficient within a pod. So each pod is like a community. This community has all these needs and we take care of those needs within the community. We have to be self-sufficient. Next community, same thing, which is a completely different model from normal school because they had all these supports. If a kid gets sick in the bathroom, it's so easy to be like, bring 10 people in to come clean it up, which we don't want to do anymore. We want to limit exposure as much as possible, which means new roles for teachers. Teachers now are going to be the nurse taking the temperature and screening them in in the morning, just like the secretaries. We're going to have them doing meals. So then the new cafeteria staff, they have to clean up after themselves. So they are their own custodial staff. This is the level of detail that we brought to our plan as we formulated it in the first part of July of this past year. But we were probably fooling ourselves because between that time and now, so much has changed. And the one thing that has remained constant is the feeling that we're not truly prepared at all. I'll leave you with a note from Peter Nguyen. Thing that's that um, can can keep you up at night is is thinking about you know the if you're prepared enough. It's always scary when you are preparing and you don't know what's going to happen. And so so all we can do is hope that nothing does happen. Next week on the hypothesis. So you have your plans built, you're ready to open school for students, but all of a sudden you are not allowed to. Next week's episode, you sound like Mike Pence right now, which is something that a friend said to me upon hearing my reaction to the news that we would not be able to serve students in person. We hope you'll join us. Stay safe. Special thanks this week to Peter Nguyen and Danielle Garcia. And as always, for our intro help, Giuseppe Miller, Melissa Martinez, and support doing the sound, the one and only David Hillendahl. See you next week.